There's just so much more to hear. Download our podcasts at DubaiEye1038.com. Drive Live Talks Legal. Is Drive Live Talks Legal. Our guest today is Ludmilla Yamalova from Yamalova and Pleska. Ludmilla, how are you today? Very well, thank you. Good to be here. Well, we do have quite a few questions. We had to close the lines last week because it was so busy. We had quite a few questions, so we'll kick off with some of the questions we couldn't get to, Ludmilla, last week. One of the first ones says, if I was only paid one month's salary when I was dismissed due to reorganisation about two years ago, is it possible to go back and ask for two more months' salary, which I was not paid at the time? No, in short, because the statute of limitation has run. The statute of limitation is a legal principle which refers to um, the right being curbed or the right being stopped stopped after a certain period of time. In employment cases in the UAE, that right stops after one year. In other words, if you have not claimed your right within one year, after that you lose the right to do so. I didn't know there was a statute of limitations. Uh, oh yes, that. indeed, there's a statute of limitation okay. in, uh, for many different causes of action. Okay. And the one that I was referring to, this only refers to employment cases and it's only one year. So normally statute of limitation run a lot longer, for example, for any kind of legal cause of action, such as breach of contract, it's be uh, 15 years but for employment matters it's one year so it's very short okay so speaking uh, that's a, a question today if i resign here's another one on a limited contract do i have to serve a notice period in fact no for a limited contract there is no requirement of a notice period Okay, and another question. Company says salespeople are paid 50-50 on target earnings. So salary and monthly commissions make up 100% of the total salary. They refuse to pay me full severance, only the salary. Is this right? No. Well, I'm assuming this is at the end of the contract. And uh, if this is the case, then... Uh, one of the other elements that the, the employee, we don't have enough facts, but assuming that this particular employee has worked for more than one year for the company, uh, then he or she would be entitled to what's called the end of service benefits, which is calculated as 21 days of the basic salary for every year of service. Now, the basic salary, in fact, includes not just the what what the contract says is the basic salary, but then uh, but whatever was the actual amount that the employee took home on the on uh, average amount on a monthly basis. So in this case, if and this is actually quite common to see uh, employees in sales in particular who uh, have a very low salary in the contract, but in fact receive on average, uh, receive a very different amount because of the sales and com- sales commissions. Uh, the legal standard for employees who, are, who work on commissions is that the court would take the average monthly payment over the course of, let's say, one year and would actually use that amount as uh, employees' basic salary minus the allowances, allowances being transferred housing, as long as they're clearly stated. Um, so it, in other words, commissions, uh, sales, um, uh, bonuses and such comprise part of the salary for the purposes of the end of service benefits. I mean, the duration there is key, isn't it? If a court looks at the average payment over the course of a year, would that be the average that a court a court would look at, a, a, you know, a 12-month period? Uh, the average is, an, is a determinative uh, f- principle. Uh, however, it is left to the courts. So there's nothing in the law that sets out what the average should be. It's up to the discretion of the lower courts to um, to use whatever they deem to be the right average. What we have seen uh, consistently, it's about six months to a year. So even in, um, in employment relationships that lasted, for example, 15 years, 11 years, which we've seen, the court would normally take about a year uh, looking back uh, in terms of calculating the average uh, monthly salary or the average bonus for that matter or the average commission. 
Okay, let's uh, go to the text line. If you have a question for Lud Miller today, you can very easily get it in on 4001. You can call if you would prefer. This is interesting. Kumar texts in. There was an article today um, stating that from December the 4th, prosecutors can fine offenders for minor offences like, for example, bounce checks instead of going uh, and making a case and possibly going to trial uh, and taking it further. Does that mean, by extension, asks Kumar, that bounce checks are now decriminalised? A very good question, and in short, no, until the law has clearly been changed. Uh, newspaper articles are, remain just that, uh, newspaper articles, and uh, it's very important to uh, to read them in that context. They are not binding. Uh, only laws are binding on, especially on authorities. Um, I didn't read this particular article, so I cannot comment on perhaps uh, a different interpretation of the same article. Uh, but there have been statements made in the past by prosecutors and various other officials and and, and legal experts and other experts about wanting or at least uh, advocating the idea of decriminalizing checks. Uh, and so maybe this this comment was made in that context. However, the law has not been changed to that effect yet. And until it has, the checks will continue to be cr- uh, criminalized. What could have happened, and we have um, seen reports to this, is that sometimes the prosecutors said that they will fine, for example, someone for having bounced the check, but they will not necessarily put them in jail right away. So perhaps they will figure out some sort of a flexible arrangement where, uh, whereby they will allow a person, they will may keep the passport, for example, but allow the person to try to settle the check within a certain period of time. But for having bounced the check, they will still take a penalty sort of to, to discourage people from continuing to bounce. I don't know, but these, uh, what I just said, the statements um, as the one I just said, have been shared in the press before. So it it may be that at least the practice of how the authorities will deal with bounce checks will will be slightly modified, but the laws themselves remain the same until until we hear otherwise. And when we do, I will make sure to update the audience. Okay, so it would be a reliable defense to say I read something might be changing in the newspaper. No, not at all. And and at the risk of of advocating people to come and seek legal advice I, I will though be in this particular context because unfortunately we hear this quite often people will say well I read in the newspaper well it must be true in in law it's only things that the only things that you can rely on with confidence are the ones that are published in the in uh, published law and in the UAE published law it means they're published in the official gazette and different emirates have their own official gazettes and then the UAE has its own uh, federal gazette so unless the law appears to be there or decree then it is not reliable in court drive live talks legal you're listening to Tim and NLT on Drive Live. Our guest today is Ludmilla Yamalova from Yamalova and Plethka. Ludmilla, we have had quite a few people getting in touch, so we don't want to run out of time. If you do have a question, text in 4001 so we can try and get to it before the end of the programme. Now, Magic got in touch with us, Ludmilla, with a question for you here. I um, currently live in Akoya in Dubai land, and my rent contract is uh, expiring uh, end of February. The only issue is that the, my area is not available in the RERA uh, rent index calculator. So in the case where the uh, landlord asks for, for an increase, what's the best strategy? I, I'm aware that in other Emirates like Abu Dhabi and Sharjah, there is a, a law in place that limits the annual increases to a certain uh, percentage. So uh, I also want to know whether this kind of law exists in, in, in Dubai as well. Okay, so there are two parts of the question. One, uh, what can one do, what can a tenant do uh, 
if the landlord asks to increase rent uh, for property that is not included in the rear index. Uh, and the second question related, I'll, I'll address uh, after. Well, in this case, it's it's interesting that this particular property is not included in the index, rear index, and we haven't really seen that many cases. But ultimately, the ball is in the landlord's court. Uh, the, for you, the issue so is so called uh, premature to uh, to do anything about because you haven't been asked to rent uh, to to raise um, uh, to to raise rent or to pay a, a higher rent, uh, and you haven't been really given the percentage of which uh, the landlord may ask you to increase rent by, and you certainly have not been even given the notice, so you cannot even challenge necessarily the request based on the insufficient notice. Uh, so my best advice is that just you wait for the landlord to make the um, his or her for, uh, his or her first move. And once that is done, you wait for them to allege the basis on which they are asking for an increase in rent. Because legally speaking, a landlord can only increase rent if uh, a number of conditions are met. One is the, the proper notice is served, and it's 90 days before the expiration of the contract. And then two, uh, that the rent does not uh, the, uh, it falls within the right the margins uh, based on the rear ca- calculator. So, But the two conditions are required. So in your case, let's say if the, no- uh, the landlord does give you the proper notice, the second condition, which is the basis for the increase, uh, does not exist. So it's, it's a legal challenge. It's a bit of a legal um, no man's land. And therefore, the burden would be on the landlord to, to argue that that increase is justified. Uh, and until he has the base or the legal principle on which to rely in requesting the increase, there isn't really uh, a legal basis to, for him to do so. Uh, so in short, my advice is you just you wait for the landlord to assert um, uh, his um, his position first, and then let the landlord then take it to court, and it will be ultimately just the the, uh, the decision for the rent committee to decide um, which uh, which which side prevails um, in the absence of a law to um, to so clearly cite for one or the other. Here's one for you. Is there any indication, Ludmilla, have you heard this from anybody, uh, that the law for a 25% minimum down payment on a uh, for a mortgage loan will be brought down to, let's say, 10 to 15% to try to stimulate the real estate market? Are there, is there any whisperings uh, around? No, we have not heard the whisperings, but I will tell you from experience how I see legal changes take effect is whenever you're hearing whisperings, uh, for those whisperings to actually become law or to become change takes a lot longer than a lot of people expect. But when uh, there is real interest or intention to make things happen, they just, they happen first and then the public finds out later. So if there are whisperings, I would just, I would caution uh, the expectation that these whisperings will materialize uh, in the near future. Uh, and when the authorities are ready to uh, to make real change, then you will know about them once they've been published in the Official Gazette, which 95% of the time is, is how we've seen, and in my nine years here, I've seen uh, legal practice develop. Okay, and Cedric's text in and says that I work for a global company. If I have issues with a company that involve at least three different affiliates, do I go to the parent company or locally? I'm with a company in DMCC, but my company has presence in DIC and other countries. Well, it much depends on what issues you're talking about, but ultimately the priority would be you, you would go to the company that sponsors you as an employee in the UAE. So if you say that you work for a company in DMCC, presumably that means that you have a DMCC contract, therefore you 
your legal standing, your legal relationship is with that entity. And that entity might very well be a branch of another entity. And the branch in legal terms basically means there is no uh, separate legal uh, independence or identity for a branch from its mother company. In that case, you could just go to the mother company without even uh, approaching the branch. But in um, in real terms uh, and based on your the description of your question, it sounds like these might not necessarily be branches, but rather subsidiaries um, of a bigger group. And so therefore, legally speaking, your priority would be to start with the company that sponsors you. Uh, and depending on um, and on what other issues, because it's you, you also said that you work for sort of for, for three different affiliates, what we have often seen is that in fact, while an employee is um, sponsored by one company and um, perhaps a, a significant part of their time they spend at the premises of this company, they also work for the other affiliates. So if that is the case, and if that's the sort of issues that you're facing, you might also have a recourse uh, vis-a-vis those other entities for for whom you're performing work. So it really much depends on the type of issues that you're dealing with, but I would always start with your sponsor. Lines now closed. We have more questions than we're going to get through, so another chance to talk to Ludmilla next week, but a number that we still have to uh, talk about. We'll come to that in a second. Let's talk about our topic today, Ludmilla. Interim property registration is something that people are talking about. Now confirmed, what are the ins and outs? Well, in in relevant terms, this um, latest law is really just an amendment to uh, a previous law which was issued in 2008, and that's law number 13. And in particular, this so-called new law is really an amendment to one article of that previous law, which is law number 13 of 2018. And the article that is being amended is Article 11. Article 11 that is being amended really in relevant terms, and this is in relevant terms of the change um, in the law, refers more to the process that developers are required to follow in uh, in terminating contracts when the investor or purchaser defaults. Uh, In the previous version of the law, it was not clear uh, what the process, at least the law was not clear, specifically clear, uh, what the process was for the developer to follow in terms of... um, um, terminating that particular contract when an investor would default. So let's say I stepped, I stopped paying, uh, contrary to my obligations, it wasn't the, the view that the courts took is that the developer actually could not unilaterally terminate the contract and they actually had to go to court and seek court's approval in terminating the contract. In other words, under the previous law, only the court could terminate a contract and the developer could not really do anything prior to that. Now, according to the new law, uh, and remember, this is this applies in the circumstances where the investor defaults. So when there is a default, then the, land, uh, the, bro- uh, the developer no longer needs to go to court to seek court's uh, termination the contract, but can unilaterally do so through the land department. So that's really the relevant change. So before the previous law was just more ambiguous uh, because it was not specifically uh, specifying how the, what the process was, but the courts took a very different view from what the current version of the law says. Okay, if we can get back to some of the final questions we've got in for today, Ludmilla. This one says, um, please, can I talk to you about my seniority in reference, very polite, of contracts of employment. I worked for my company in the UK for 10 years. Then I transferred to a local UAE contract with the same company in Dubai six years ago. I got them to write my original UK start date into my local contract, which states for the sake of seniority. So should my gratuity be calculated at the basis of six or 16 years? In short, it should be calculated on the basis of six years, and that is 
is um, because the clock starts ticking from the time you actually, uh, the clock for the purposes of seniority in which uh, that you're referring to, and that is for the end of service benefits that are under the UAE law. So that clock starts ticking once you've become a UAE employee. Uh, and that is was six years ago, not 16 years ago. The seniority you're referring to sounds like it's seniority perhaps more in terms of compensation and responsibilities and not the end of service benefits because those end of service benefits are subject uh, un, uh, to the UAE law and you only became the employee of the UAE six years ago. If I'm selling stuff online as an individual, should I pay tax? Great question, and this I'm sure we'll be seeing many more questions like this and we'll be doing a lot more pondering. Uh, in sh- if 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 you meet the threshold, which is the 365,000 dirhams about, um, then whether you're an individual or corporate, um, you would be required to pay tax as long as this is uh, for a business transaction that takes place in the UAE. That's in short. Okay, so if you're just someone selling a few bits and bobs on, on one of the second-hand sites, that's no problem. No, it doesn't apply to personal personal property, personal items. Uh, it only really applies for anyone to do some things that are that become become so regular or pervasive to become a business. Okay. okay. So if, if you're a business and you're invoicing and you go over 375,000 dirhams a year, then you are liable for VAT from January the 1st. Correct. Or if you're an individual, for example, you, you're importing things from sure. Asia yeah. uh, and you uh, meet the threshold, uh, the same uh, requirement applies. Okay. Okay, this one is, I have a free zone visa, but I have an offer from a mainland company. Should I take that up? Can I shift my visa to the mainland company or is cancellation the only option? And if so, what happens to the visas of my dependents? Uh, our last intel or intelligence is that it is actually it is possible to transfer uh, from let me see that's from, from a free zone to the mainland it is possible to transfer from a free zone to the mainland so you don't need to cancel but, oh. you, but you, what you cannot do is you cannot uh, transfer from one MR to another Okay, hopefully okay. That and dependents would just transfer over with your... Indeed, and so with dependents, it's, uh, so there's a process now where you, instead of cancelling dependents and having them to reapply from the beginning, uh, you just put them on hold until you've uh, amended your visa and then they basically automatically get lumped into your, um, into your new residency visa, but they don't really need to do anything else. So they don't need to reapply or do anything else because their previous residence status just gets transferred over. And finally, one from Pete. Recently, there was an, annou- an announcement, re-wills, what has changed? Great question, Pete. And I will tell you, that law um, that you're referring to, it's, the, um, it's uh, the, the Dubai law regarding wills, and that applies now to the DIFC and Dubai, uh, the greater Dubai. The law came out, it was, still, it was only in Arabic. We're having it translated, and we'll have the translation next day or two. But in relevant terms... We are not quite sure yet. It's basically from what we've seen so far. Uh, it will allow for notaries and allow for Dubai courts to um, uh, to attest wills, uh, and and then once those wills have been properly attested through the Dubai courts, then they will be held as valid. A process that until this new law was um, introduced was only available for the DIFC registered wills and not for outside of the Dubai Dubai, uh, Dubai uh, DIFC registered wills. And there were a lot of wills before that were registered through the notaries, but they were not, just because they had a notary stamp, they were not considered to be necessarily valid. But under the, uh, the new law, apparently they will be held valid. Okay, Pete, hopefully that answers your question. And but, once it's translated... But yes, but I will certainly comment a lot, uh, in a lot greater detail um, perhaps next week, and that could be the topic for next week, because by that time we'll have the translated version. You'll hear it here first, Pete. Ludmilla Yamalova from Yamalova and Plethka is our guest today. Thanks very much for joining us, Ludmilla. Always a pleasure. There's just so much more to hear. Download our podcasts at DubaiEye1038.com.